All right, guys, welcome to the table read of the murder of Tracy Roth. Now, basically, I was looking for my old laptop and found the first ever feature film script um, that I wrote. Now, as many of you know, if you're a writer, these early scripts that you find are usually not that great. However, the difference with this one... I found was that it was so bad that it might actually be really funny to perform. So we're trying something different. What you're about to hear is the first half of our table read of this feature film script, um, starring Ian Shearer, uh, Keir Batchelor, uh, the podcast own Jack Higgins, um, Kat Mulholland, uh, Sophie Aziz and Michael Pellman, um, with my good self um, narrating it uh, all the way through. So... I hope you enjoy it, strap in, have a great time and enjoy the beautiful disaster that is the murder of Tracy Roth. Murder of Tracy Roth. Exterior, city streets, afternoon. Eric Clark, a young, slender and good-looking yet socially awkward detective, runs out of his apartment building, holding his jacket over his head to protect himself from the rain pouring down around him. He climbs into the back seat of a yellow taxi that waits for him outside. Clark looks out the window observing the dark city as he travels through it. The sound of droplets hitting the pavement still very much audible. The voiceover starts when he is seated inside the cab. It was raining heavily the day we found Tracy Roth's body. The transition from the dry heat of the summer sun to the crisp cold of the snowy winter was never a pleasant experience in the city. The humidity combined with an onslaught of heavy showers made men and women smell putrid and musky. If anyone should know, it's me. I've lived in the city my whole life. After my mom was kicked out of her parents' house shortly after I was born, she moved moved us both here, taking the cheapest apartment she could get her hands on. She worked every day to give us a good life, and I'll forever love her for that. I always wanted to work hard for her, to get her out of here, far away from the city. She always hated it here. It looked horrible. The buildings seemed like they could crumble at any given second. People never seemed to smile in the street, too focused on where they were headed and what they had to do, adding to the unforgiving nature of this city. Eventually, he gets out of the taxi and pays the driver before continuing to walk to his destination, the rain having died down to a light shower at this stage. The city around him is bleak and gloomy and very much has an industrial feel about it. Grey skyscrapers dominate the skyline. There are no high-end jewellery stores or fashion outlets in this high street with cheap cafes, hardware stores and second-hand clothing shops filling the spots you would expect them to sit. Several homeless men and women sit by the street corners looking depressed and almost lifeless. The city is circular in its centre with towering skyscrapers dominating the outside, giving it the appearance of a turret on a castle with several roads extending out into the suburban areas like spokes on a wheel. The police station sits in the dead centre of the city, right next to the office of the mayor. The streets are busy, 
and several people bump into Clark as he continues on his route. He seems to be fighting against a tide of suits. Everyone else travelling in the opposite direction towards the high skyscrapers that make up the city's outer circle. The case of Tracy Roth was well known. Flashback. The elementary <laughs> after taking a trip to the grocery store with their young daughter, the two had taken a shortcut down an alleyway on their way home. The last thing the young girl said she could remember was being struck in the back of the head before waking up in a hospital bed. As Clark narrates, a black and white flashback fills the screen. Tracy Roth, a 35-year-old school teacher with large blue eyes, dirty blonde hair and a kind-looking face, leaves a grocery store walking hand-in-hand hand with her young daughter. The two walk down a long alleyway as a mysterious figure appears behind them, baseball bat in hand. The young girl lies unconscious and bleeding from the head and the floor as the mysterious figure carries Tracy Roth back out the alley. The flashback ends and we return to Eric Clark walking the busy streets of the city. My new partner, Joseph Kramer, had been the detective in charge of the original investigation. He was the longest serving guy in the department. He had a presence about him, something that was both intimidating and calming in equal measure. He seemed to be in control of whatever situation he found himself in. And he commanded an unprecedented level of respect from his peers and those who knew of his reputation. Joseph Kramer had solved every case he'd ever worked on. Every one. Every one, except from this one. Some of the older guys in the department say that the case had consumed him. They had changed him in a lot of ways. So as soon as the body was found, he was called. And soon after that, he called me. When our conversation ended and I made my way to the scene, I was filled with a feeling of both excitement and anxiety. I couldn't help but see this as an opportunity. The most infamous kidnapping in this department's history had just become its most notorious murder. And I knew, if I could solve it, that this was going to be my ticket out of the city forever. As Clark continues to walk through the busy streets, I Will Possess Your Heart by Def Cab for Cutie plays in the background. Play it, play it, play it. Exterior. <laughs> it will be playing. <laughs> Exterior, alleyway, afternoon. The music fades out and Clark turns into an alleyway in the middle of the city. The alley is filled with rubbish bins, some of which are overflowing, with assorted oh waste spilling from them onto the hard ground below. Eric watches his step as he treads carefully through the alley, mindful to not let anything mark his clean brown shoes. At the end of the alleyway stands a mixture of police officers, a tall but slender middle-aged man known as Steve the Coroner, and his younger <laughs> assistant, a big man, and a detective standing over the <laughs> Eric walks over and stands next to the detective. This is his partner, Joseph Kramer. He wears a black fedora with a long black coat and a white unpressed shirt underneath. He also carries a black umbrella. His face looks more wrinkled and worn-torn than you would expect of a 50-year-old. Are you sure that's her, sir? It's, uh... Kramer walks away from his partner to the end of the body. He stands at the feet of the corpse, his expression blank and unreadable. 
but his eyes not moving from Tracy's face. Clark notices this and looks concerned. You all right? This must be tough for you. What do you mean? <laughs> I just mean... <laughs> I, just, I just mean, you know, I heard you worked on the original case and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kramer crouches down to get a better look at the body. It's been ten years, Eric. Time goes by. Start to assume this is the way things are going to turn out. He looks up at Clark. You didn't bring an umbrella. Uh, I didn't really have time to find one, sir. My name's Joe. Not Sir. Get Morris this dealt with as quickly as possible. As soon as the press get hold of this, it's all eyes. We'll be on ice. <laughs> so we have something to tell them when they come knocking. Yeah, uh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So in that spirit, Kramer stands up, pulls out a cigarette and lights it up. What are you thinking? Well, the killer placed the body away from the trash. Clothes are still all still on. And what else? Clark takes a moment to gather his thoughts. The body's not being thrown down or dumped on the ground. She's been laid down on her back in a position of comfort. The killer has also been sure to place her in a dry spot, sheltered from the rain. And what that tells us about our guy? <laughs> Clark shrugs slightly and walks back to his mentor's side. Maybe he feels guilty. Or he didn't mean to kill her? That he feels some sort of uh, remorse, I mean. You mean to say you think a killer felt affection for Mrs. Roth? I'm not sure I'd call keeping someone captive for ten years affection, to be honest. That's probably a fair point. Call it infatuation, then. Obsession. Last. Take your pick. I'd probably call him a psychopath if I was that, that was an option, sir. Oh my, don't call me, sir. Do you not understand? <laughs> I don't assume anything about a killer unless evidence is there about it. <laughs> I'm sorry? Don't apologise. <laughs> Clark appears disappointed with himself. He turns his attention to the police officers and the bin man at the other side of the alleyway. Who found the body? A bin man. Called in about an hour guy. One of the officers recognised her when he called in. <laughs> Any idea of the cause of that? Looks like a single sad wound to the chest. Steve's going to take the body in for post-mortem. So we'll know soon for sure enough. <laughs> Clark. <laughs> Clark. <laughs> okay, gathering composure. Three, two. Clark nods before leaving his partner's side and circles round to the opposite end of the body, examining his surroundings as he does so. Kramer watches him expectantly, waiting for Clark to speak. What is it? This all doesn't add up. I mean, why kill her now? If she's been kept locked up for the past ten years, why kill her at this point in time? And why dump the body somewhere it's so easy to find? I agree. It don't add up. To keep someone hidden for so long, I mean, I can only imagine that would take a certain amount of determination. You wouldn't have put in the effort to keep her locked up to just, you know... Stab her once in the chest a decade later. It certainly fits with the idea of it being an accident. Or maybe the date has significance to the killer. 
Kramer considers this momentarily. Mm -hmm. It's possible, but unlikely, I think. Clark looks down uncomfortably, once again slightly discouraged that he has failed to impress his mentor. Kramer takes out a notebook and jots down a few sentences while walking to the entrance of the alleyway. Steve, the coroner, stands up from the body. We're going to start moving the body now, Joe, if that's all right with you. I think we're done here anyway. Be careful first, Steve. When will she be ready? Oh, uh, uh, some point tomorrow, I think. Are you joking? Joe, it's Sunday. Uh, the morgue shuts early. <laughs> Kramer throws a harsh stare in Steve's direction. First thing tomorrow and no later. Steve looks extremely intimidated by the rugged veteran. I, uh, I'll be as thorough as possible. Steve starts to prepare the body for transportation. Kramer turns to face Clark. Oh, I need a brew. You want one? Uh, yeah, sure. Kramer and Clark leave the body behind and exit the alleyway as the assistant zips Tracy Roth into a body bag. Cut to exterior, busy city street, afternoon. Kramer and Clark are walking down a busy city street, cups of coffee in hand. Kramer walks a half pace ahead of Clark. So, where do we go now? Kramer takes a drink from his cup before answering. Well, we can't really do much till Steve gets his finger out his backside. So for now, we're going to finish our coffee and clear our minds for a few moments. Oh, uh, okay. The conversation between them dies for an extended period. Kramer breaks the awkward tension with a quiet burst of laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Kramer breaks the awkward tension with a quiet burst of laughter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand you, Squire. In the three months you've been with me, not once is our conversation stretched farther than the job we do or the case we're working on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, your problem. You're too respectful. Where's your bloody personality? Sorry, I just didn't know what else to say. I assumed that the daily routine of the famous Joseph Kramer would be to go to work, solve a murder, go home, take out his dentures and go to bed. <laughs> No time for a shower, then. I mean, you can't blame me for being a bit unsure. Listen to some of the guys, you think you'd never leave the station. Well, I suppose they're not completely wrong. Joking aside, the job does take up a lot of my time. If I'm perfectly honest, you'll be finding that out already. I expect. I do have some hobbies, though. Yeah? Like what? Well, music, for one. <laughs> what do you play? Guitar. Really? <laughs> Yeah, played music since I was a toy. My dad loved music. Every week when we would get his wages and he'd go around the record shop from the corner of our house. Where are you from again? <laughs> London. Really? London, you fucking tosser. Before <laughs> my mother shipped us over here, so anyway. We had in the shop, Bella Bob or whatever the cunt's name was. He was always with my dad and a real deal for the records on the cheek. I used to love it. Sitting there in the living room and listening to whatever he'd get his hands on that night. I'll play sometimes at the pub on Hendrix Avenue. You should come by sometimes. Really? Uh, that'd be cool, sir. I mean, Joe, what kind of music do you play? Mostly all this stuff there. Bob Dylan, the Beatles, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) They walk in silence for a few more strides Mm -hmm. as both take swigs of their coffee. (laughs) What about you, Oshon? What does a young up-and-coming detective do for fun anyway? Not much. Uh, I do quite a lot of reading. Mm, The ladies must swoon. (laughs) Clark blushes, uncomfortable at being made fun of. What are you reading then, Shakespeare? <laughs> Nothing right now. I, I just finished reading The Stranger not long. Oh, Albert Camus. How'd you find it? Uh, okay, I guess. I mean, I know it's a classic, but it felt a little stale towards the end. I think I'm going to start on 1984 tonight, if I've got time. Oh, never read it? Not since high school, to be honest. Why are they talking? Oh, I like it. It's a very good book. Yeah, I remember enjoying it. it. I loved how ambiguous it is. In what way? Like, with the ending. What happens to Winston? Do they kill him? Does he live the rest of his life conforming? And O'Brien, who was who he really? Was he originally like Winston, or was he... Jesus Christ. <laughs> this stops Clark in his tracks. Kramer takes a final gulp of his coffee before looking at Clark incredulously. Um, You've had far too much time on your hands, Squire. If I was you, I'd get myself a woman. Clark's face turns red while Kramer begins to laugh. (laughs) I'm only messing with you, son. (laughs) Kramer throws his empty cup into a bin. The two come to a halt as they near a 70s-style black hatchback, which belongs to Detective Kramer. So I, I guess I'll head home. Oh, no, no, not yet, Squire. I know I said there wasn't much we could do, but I forgot that uh, Captain's asked me to inform the family that Tracy's dead. Not going to be an easy job, but... Kramer shrugs before gesturing to the car. Clark gets in and shuts the door. Kramer goes round to his side of the car, noticing a mark on his door as he does so. He cleans the mark with the sleeve of his jacket before entering the hatchback. The car drives off down the street. Cut to exterior, rough household, evening. Kramer's car pulls up in front of a house in the middle of a working class suburban neighbourhood. The house isn't very big and looks quite run down. There is a rusty dark blue Ford Fairmount outside it with the hood up and one of the doors open. Various wrenches and other tools sit scattered around the vehicle. Kramer and Clark exit the hatchback. Clark begins to walk toward Clark begins to walk towards the front door. Wait just a second, Clark. Kramer approaches Clark. The two stand close together, face to face. <laughs> Before we go in, there's a chance that may things get a little tense between myself and Mr. Roth. Why? He has his reasons. I'm just warning you because he's got a bit of a temper. Clark nods and stares up at the house, a look of stony apprehension now oh, I'm saying his is face. It. If things get all started in there, don't get involved or interfere. Leave this between me and him. You understand? Yeah, of course. Good lad. Just leave it to me. I know how to deal with him. The two walk up the driveway, passing between Roth's car and an unkempt patch of grass on their right-hand side. Kramer wraps the door sharply four times. Emma, the door! Just a second! (laughs) Emma Roth. (laughs) 
<laughs> the 21-year-old daughter of Vincent and Tracy, who works as a waitress, rushes about somewhere near the other side of the door. She comes to the door, and we see her silhouette on the other side of the glass. I think it's just salesmen. Tell them to get lost. She turns the key and opens the door, looking slightly windswept. She is very similar in appearance to her mother, and she is still dressed in her dirty waitress uniform. Sorry, <laughs> you're not looking to buy anything today. <laughs> she begins to close the door, My but Kramer God. takes a step forward. We're not salesmen, my darling. May I please come in? Emma looks at Kramer properly, her eyes revealing a glimmer of recognition. She nods before opening the door and inviting the two detectives inside the house. Interior, rough household evening. Kramer and Clark walk past Emma into a larger room in the left, which appears to function as both the living room and dining area. The first half of the room nearest the entrance is taken up by a small television propped in the corner with a sofa and an armchair facing toward it. The other side of the room is mostly taken up by a round dining table with three chairs positioned around it. The decor is simple. There are no family photographs on display anywhere on the wall, except for a picture of Emma and her father at a high school graduation on a table in the corner of the room. The kitchen is situated across from the dining table on the same side of the house as the hallway from which the detectives just entered. The kitchen door is ajar. Vincent Roth, the physically imposing mechanic husband of the recently <laughs> deceased Tracy Roth, is currently putting the finishing touches to a dinner he has made for himself and his daughter. Emma follows Kramer and Clark into the living area. What's this about? Miss Roth, uh, unfortunately... Emma. Oh, I told you to get rid of these motherfuckers. <laughs> Ruff shuts the oven door with his feet and brings two dinner plates into the living room and sets them on the table. He takes a towel from his shoulder and begins to wipe his hands with it before looking up to see his guests. Listen, I appreciate you got a job to do, but unfortunately, we... Ruff looks up and locks eyes with Kramer. An uncomfortable, intense silence follows. Hello, Vincent. The silence resumes. Roth continues to stare at Kramer, disdain clear in his eyes. Clark is looking down at his feet uncomfortably. Emma appears confused by the situation and approaches her father. Dad, what's going... Roth puts up his hand to silence his daughter, still staring at Kramer. <laughs> I thought I made it perfectly clear. You are not welcome here. Mr. Rich, I need you to calm down. Listen, Kramer holds up his hand to silence Clark, not too unlike how Roth had quieted his daughter moments before. Kramer gives Clark a look of disapproval. Roth also turns his stare towards Clark momentarily. Clark looks down at the ground again and begins to pace uncomfortably. Roth turns his attention back to Kramer. Leave. Now. Vincent. Unless you have a warrant, get out of my house. Vincent. Get out of my house. <laughs> we found the body. <laughs> a stunned silence falls over the room as this information is processed. Roth stares at Kramer nonplussed as though unsure of what he said. The colour is drained away from Emma's face, 
Her expression is doleful, and tears are beginning to form in her eyes. Is it? It is your mother's darling, I. Emma begins to weep. She stands... <laughs> she stands closer to her father and hugs him tightly, crying into his arms. Clark looks on at them with empathy. Roth continues to hold his stare with Kramer, his expression still one of disbelief, but his eyes beginning to tear up. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, bitch. Kramer moves to put a hand on his shoulder, but Roth jerks it off aggressively. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Right, okay. Are you sure I'm letting me do this? Are you This causes Emma to let go of her brain and back from her father, concern now showing on her tear-stained face. Kramer also takes a few paces back, while Clark seems more alert. Ross! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry myself. All right, here we go. Sorry. Roth, now feeling a mixture of agonising sadness and a <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just all these feelings like after after that. Right, okay. Right. Roth, now feeling a mixture of agonising sadness and a simmering rage, gazes intently once again at Kramer, whose face is void of expression. How did she die? The autopsy isn't until the morning, so I can't be sure until... How did she die? The atmosphere in the room remains tense as the two alpha males continue to stare each other down. Clark and Emma share a worried glance. Sing a punch away to the stomach. Roth's lips begin to bubble. He breaks his stare with Kramer and begins to pace the room, hands in his hips. He comes to a stop at the dining table, placing both his hands on top of one of the chairs for support. There is a definite sense that Roth's anger could reach boiling point at any second. A sentiment shared by Clark and Emma, who both seem on edge. Kramer continues to look directly at Roth. Vincent, I promise you I will find whoever did this to Tracy. You have my word. Roth doesn't look up from the table. He points his finger in Kramer's direction. He leaves it hanging there for a few seconds before beginning to wag it at the detective. <laughs> Your word. <laughs> Roth picks up one of the dinner plates and smashes it against the wall opposite him. Emma lets out a large gasp. Clark begins to step forward, reaching for his pocket, but Kramer puts a hand up to stop him. Kramer's expression remains unchanged. Clark hesitantly takes a step back 
Emma hurries to her father's <clears> side. Roth is now broken down and is openly weeping at the dinner table. Emma kneels down next to Roth, trying to whisper comforting words to him. Roth looks up to face Kramer again. Your word! This time, Roth speaks louder and with more venom. He stands up and approaches Kramer. He gets right up in Kramer's face. Emma is begging her father to stop. Kramer's expression remains unchanged. Mr. Roth, I, I would have to ask you to please stand away from... Clark's voice tails off as Roth turns his furious gaze to the young detective momentarily. I would have to ask you to shut the fuck up! Clark once again awkwardly sets back as Roth moves his focus back to Kramer. He speaks much he speaks much yeah, he speaks much quieter than before, but his disdain for the Englishman is still very clear. You gave me your word ten fucking years ago. Ten fucking years ago you stood in this room and you told me the same thing you're telling me right now. How you would catch the bastard that took him. How you wouldn't let him get away. How you would bring him to justice. But what did you do? Kramer breaks the stair for the first time and looks at the floor. Roth begins to raise his voice again. What did you do, Joe? What did you fucking do? You arrested me. You put me in a cell. You dragged me in a court. You testified me against him. I and the couldn't ignore the evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before. You were following the evidence, doing your fucking job. <laughs> Meanwhile, the fucker who took my wife from me and my daughter is still out there walking free. Roth once again paces around the room to regain his composure. You had ten years to find her. And you failed. Why did you fail? I never stop looking. That doesn't matter. You didn't keep your word. You didn't keep the promise you made of me or my daughter. And my wife is dead. Tracy's dead. Ruff, Ruff's voice breaks as he tries to hold back the tears. As far as I'm concerned, her blood is on your hands. Ruff lets this linger for a moment. He walks over to the door leading into the hallway. Listen, I gave you a chance to find her before. I'm not giving you another one. Roth exits the room. He grabs his jacket in the hallway and opens the front door. Emma follows him. Where are you going? No, I need some air. Roth leaves the house, slamming the door behind him as he does so. Emma comes back into the room. An awkward silence falls between the detectives and the young woman. Can I see her? We will try and get the body back to your family as soon as possible, Miss Roth. Emma nods, her expression distant. She walks over to the table and begins to tidy up the remnants of the ruined meal. Kramer motions to Clark for them to leave the room and they begin to do so. Uncle Joe? Kramer stops at the door and turns to face his goddaughter. <gasps> <gasps> Was she wearing the necklace? You know, the one she always used to wear? The one with the locket? I think so, yes. <laughs> would I would I be would I be able to have it? Once we're done with it, I mean. For the first time since entering the house, Kramer shows a true look of empathy. He nods at Emma. Emma nods back before breaking down in hysterical tears. Kramer. 
<laughs> Kramer once again motions to Clark to exit the house, leaving the heartbroken young woman crying inside alone. Exterior, rough household evening. The two leave the house, Kramer shutting the door behind him. Clark is walking quickly back to the car. Clark! Clark stops and waits for Kramer to catch up with him. I thought I told you to follow my lead. Kramer's voice is cold and unforgiving. Clark is uncomfortable being in this confrontational situation. Joe, listen. Uh, Maybe I made you feel too comfortable earlier. But let me make one thing perfectly clear. When I say to do something, I expect you to follow that instruction. Is that understood? Clark is ruffled by these comments and feels disrespected. Well, we're meant to be partners, Joe. I just thought that... Oh, yeah. We're partners. I've been doing this job before you can even fucking walk. <laughs> Disrespect is something I won't tolerate from anyone. I can quite easily have the captain reassign you to another department if that's what you want. Uh, you want to be directing traffic, Clark? What was that? No. I thought not. Nah. Get in the car. Clark shows some signs of defiance as he matches Kramer's stare. You want to walk? (laughs) (laughs) Clark turns away reluctantly and gets into the passenger side of the car. Kramer enters the hatchback after him. He takes off his hat and rubs his head while letting out a large sigh. (laughs) Listen, Eric. You're a good detective. But you'll never be great. If you don't learn when to keep your mouth shut and when to speak, do you understand? I understand. The two sit in silence as Kramer rubs his eyes and sits back on his chair. Clark stares out the window. I'm sorry for shouting that. I just, uh, I just had to let off some steam, I suppose. It's fine, Joe. Kramer gives Clark a sad look. All right, then. The engine starts up and the car drives off as Thin Lizzy's still in love with you begins to play. The music continues. Clark leaves the car and Kramer drives off. Clark walks along the street, passing drunkards and homeless folk before entering his apartment building. Roth enters a near empty bar and orders a stiff drink from an old barman. Still in love with you. (laughs) Clark fumbles to find the keys from his pocket before unlocking the door to his apartment and entering. Roth is sitting at the bar, drinking a glass of bourbon. He finishes and requests another. The barman nods. He looks sympathetic, as though he understands why Roth is drinking heavily. (laughs) Emma is sitting in the corner of the living room, crying hysterically. She punches the walls wildly before wrapping her arms around herself in an embrace. Clark now shirtless. Again, Clark now shirtless brushes his teeth over his sink. Kramer is still driving in his car. He sees several victims flash quickly across his mind. Each from previous cases Kramer has investigated. Some of the bodies are mutilated in truly horrendous ways. Kramer's face remains expressionless as he keeps his wide eyes in the road. Emma manages to pull herself together and stands up, drying her eyes as she does so. She sits down on the couch. The barman tells Roth they'll be shutting soon. Roth asks for just one more. 
the barman nods. Just one nail. And I'll drink. Pulls out his wallet from his pocket. <laughs> Emma pulls out a necklace from underneath her t-shirt. I'll walk it. It's attached to the end of it. Roth pulls a small photograph from his wallet. It's a photo of Tracy and Emma, both looking extremely happy. <laughs> Roth smiles fondly at the photograph, and he begins to tear up as the barman places his drink down in front of him. Emma opens the locket and the same photograph is inside. She begins to cry again. She blows a kiss at the photograph. <laughs> Clark takes off his trousers and gets into bed. His bedside lamp is the only source of light in the room. He props himself up and grabs a case. He props himself up and grabs a case file from his bedside cabinet. He opens it and begins to read. Kramer is playing his guitar in his apartment. I'm still in love. <laughs> comes over and tells Roth that it's time to close. Roth grabs his jacket and exits what? the bar. Grabs his jacket. Roth grabs his jacket and exits the bar. Roth walks down his driveway and enters his house. He sees Emma has fallen asleep in the couch and covers her with a pink blanket. Vincent kisses her on the forehead, taking a moment to look at her, his love for his daughter clear in his dark brown eyes. He walks upstairs and sits on the edge of his bed. He pulls out his phone and dials a number. The person on the other end answers. Hey, it's Vincent Roth. Yeah, can you meet tomorrow? It's urgent. Hey, yeah, that's great. See you then. He pulls out the photograph once more and gives it another look. Flashback. Vincent and Tracy argue aggressively as Emma watches on. Looking regretfully, kisses the photograph before placing it face down in his bedside cabinet. Roth turns his head and goes to sleep as the music fades out. Fade to black. Interior, Clark's apartment. Morning. The alarm clock in Clark's bed. Try that again. <laughs> the alarm clock on Clark's bedside table begins to ring loudly. Clark lazily reaches a hand over to make it go silent. He gets out his bed and begins to get dressed rather haphazardly. He rushes out of his apartment, only to quickly come back for his forgotten umbrella seconds later. Exterior, city streets, morning. Clark runs out of his building and flags down a taxi outside to take him to the autopsy. Interior, autopsy room, morning. Clark paces into the room, looking slightly sweaty and out of breath. Kramer and Steve the coroner stand around Tracy's <laughs> body, which is on the autopsy table in the middle of the room. The room is spotlessly clean, with clear metallic surfaces. Sorry I'm late. No, it's fine. You're right on time. I just got here as early as all. Clark crosses the room and stands next to Kramer. So, Steve... What's the story? Well, Steve pulls back the cover that was hiding the body from head down, revealing the nude corpse underneath. Cause of death was a single puncture wound to the stomach, as previously <laughs> suspected. Uh, judging from the size and shape of the wound, it's un very unlikely it was caused by some sort of blade. Uh, probably a kitchen knife or something similar. Uh, any defensive wounds? Very few. Uh, there are signs of aggressive sexual assault. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. There are signs of aggressive sexual assault. Uh, also, marks on her wrist indicate she was restrained. The three move to the side of the body as Steve points out bruises at the ends of the arm. 
probably shackles or something like that. Jesus Christ. Hey, Price! <laughs> Not too much to work with. Uh, no blood, no <laughs> fingerprints, or <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry. <laughs> Body does seem unusually clean apart from around the puncture wound. Any good news? Well, I did find skin under her fingernails. Now it it is possible it could be her own. However, it could be the killers. There is a chance that when the victim was trying to defend herself, she may have managed to scratch her tormentor. Mm. Well, that's great, Steve. I'll take her to the lab and run some tests. Try and see if we can get a match on the system. If you're going to do that, Joe, I was going to look through some of the old security footage from the grocery store on the day of the kidnapping. Why would you want to do that? Well, I was reading the case file, and, and it documented that the footage was acquired, but never processed. Mm, I must have forgotten to put that in the notes. I ate bloody paperwork. I did go through the footage, and then on there was a dead end. Can it have a second pair of eyes on it, though, can it? I doubt that you would have missed something if you feel strongly about it, be my guest. Kramer stares at Clark, annoyed with him for suggesting that he may have not been thorough enough when he initially looked over the footage. Clark awkwardly shuffles and looks down at the ground. Well, if there's nothing else, Steve, young Eric and I better be... There is one more thing, Joe. Steve walks across to a computer monitor at the other side of the room. Kramer follows him and stands next to the coroner. Clark stands slightly further back. The fuck am I looking at well, I, I noticed something unusual about Tracy's appearance. She was frail, yes, but there was something a little off, and... And? And I ran some tests. And? Steve looks uncomfortable as Clark's eyes show a dawning realization. There were pregnancy tests. She was pregnant. Steve looks at Clark and nods. Kramer looks taken aback for the first time. Now anticipate, not anticipating this turn of events, he stands up and swiftly takes his leave. Thank you, Steve. Kramer walks out the room. Clark hurries to catch up with him. Interior, morgue, morning. Clark hastens to catch up with his mentor, who is power walking for the exit. Joe. <laughs> Joe, wait up. <laughs> Kramer stops and waits for <laughs> <laughs> sorry, just imagine I'm power walking. Uh, Kramer <laughs> stops and waits for Clark to catch up before continuing to walk at a slower pace than before. You okay? No. Not really, if I'm honest. Oh, okay. Well, I'll head back to the station and get that footage out of storage. You do that. What about you? Oh, no. I'm going for a walk. Joe. Joe stops in his tracks and looks down at the ground, distress clear on his face. This is the most emotive he has been since Clark has known him. Uh, I let a child die, Eric. An innocent child. <laughs> I haven't even seen the light of day. No one ever got to meet. He closes his eyes hard. As though trying to push tears back into his skull. I just, I just need some air. Shima <laughs> walks out of the morgue, leaving Clark standing himself, looking concerned. Exterior, City Streets, morning. 
Kramer walks through the streets of the city, inhaling and exhaling very deliberately, trying to compose himself. After a while, his breathing becomes less profound and he seems to have pulled himself together. He begins to walk down the street once again. The hardened investigator's expression quickly becomes unreadable. As he walks past the window of a cafe, he notices Vincent Roth sitting at a table inside, drinking coffee on his own. Kramer stops and observes Roth for a few seconds before approaching the entrance to the cafe. Interior, cafe, morning. Kramer enters the cafe and stands in front of the counter. A young waitress stands behind it. Kramer glances over at Roth. Roth notices him and scoffs. Shaking his head, he pulls out his phone. Kramer continues to stare at Roth as the waitress waits expectantly. Excuse me, sir? Kramer goes and stands next to Roth's table. Roth continues to text in his flip phone as Kramer stands over him. Roth puts his phone in his pocket but does not look up at the detective. Instead, he just stares at the table. He picks up his cup and turns it in his hands, almost studying it. It's clear he's doing this solely to try and get a rise out of Kramer, who he knows resents to be ignored or disrespected. However, Kramer does not react, instead simply continuing to stare at Roth. Eventually, he decides to break the deadlock. You still take your coffee, Black? Roth continues to twirl the cup in his hand, still ignoring Kramer. Kramer moves to the other side of the table and takes a seat. I have to say, I didn't think I'd see you at, less so in a cafe shop. What else did you think I'd be doing? To be perfectly honest, Vincent, knowing you as I do, a bar or a liquor store would have seemed more likely than like cow. Roth finally looks at Kramer, ruffled by his old friend's last comment. Kramer is instantly taking control of the situation, as he always does. Or perhaps you would be with your daughter. Well, she's working. You let her go to work the day after she found out her mother was murdered. I misread the commas, sorry. (laughs) She wanted to keep her mind off things. And we need the money. Maybe you wouldn't if you stopped playing with cars and got yourself a better job. Roth shakes his head and stands up from his chair. Listen, I don't need to listen to you. Roth stands up from his chair and puts on his coat. As (laughs) Roth walks out of the cafe, Kramer stares blankly at the seat he has just vacated. Eventually, Kramer stands from his chair and heads (laughs) to the door, taking his tea from the waitress en route. Exterior, City Streets, morning. Kramer exits the shop. Roth is standing next to the entrance, still texting someone on his phone. I was out of line, I apologise. I don't really give a shit. Vincent, I don't want to fight with you. We've been at this for long enough. Then don't come near me. Vincent, I'm investigating your wife's fucking murder. Of course I'm going to have to come near you. Roth puts his phone in his pocket and faces Kramer. I told you, you're done. As far as I'm concerned, this isn't your case. And tell me who it is, Vincent. Yours? Yes. You're going to find them, are you? Roth nods his head calmly, taking a sip of his coffee as he does so. And what are you going to do when you find the bastard, Vincent? You're going to bring him to justice. Real justice. (laughs) (laughs) What's the real justice again? Real justice. Oh, real justice. I see. 
Kramer takes a step closer to Roth. Roles reverse from the previous evening. Now Roth is coming composed while Kramer is visibly furious with Roth's apparent impassiveness. And tell me what makes you think you can catch him when I've spent the best part of my career trying and failing. Are you that deluded, Vincent? Roth doesn't respond. What makes a bloody mechanic think he can turn into fucking Columbo? <laughs> ah, Joe. Oh my god. Kramer immediately recognises the voice and closes his eyes in disbelief. He turns, standing behind him, is private investigator Paul Ellis, a 40-something-year-old man with straw-coloured hair and dry skin around his lips. He stands <laughs> looking at the detective, his hands in his pocket, and a smug grin plastered on his face. He holds a half-eaten sandwich in one hand. I want to turn so you putting moisturiser on right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck my lips. <laughs> Kramer. Turns back to Roth. You're joking. It's nice to see you too, Joe. What's all you stay away from this case? I was instructed not to investigate a kidnapping. My client has now asked me to investigate a murder. A murder? That should be investigated by a real detective. Not a washed up has been wasted on you. Well, to be frank, Joe, I think my client has lost faith in the real detective. Vincent, you can't trust this geezer. He's not the one that put me on trial. Yeah, I have to agree, Joe. You got some nerve to try and be an authority who people can and can't trust. Trevor turns towards Ellis, his disdain for the man etched on his face. <sighs> Ellis looks smug and takes a bite of his sandwich causing a small amount of mayonnaise to drop on his face. He speaks with his mouth full. Don't worry, Joe. We'll keep out of your way. Shall we be going, Mr. Roth? Sounds good to me. Wait a minute. You've got something on your <laughs> face. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Kramer pulls out a handkerchief and wipes the mayonnaise from the side of his adversary's face slowly and deliberately before pulling Ellis close to him. Right. I'm warning you, Paul. Stay out of my way. This career will end as quickly as the last fucking one. Ellis breaks Kramer's hold of him and fixes the collar in his trench coat. He walks off with Roth by his side. Kramer stands still, fists clenched, staring intently at the pair as they walk off. Exterior, pub, morning. Roth and Ellis walk up to the entrance of an old-fashioned pub. Ellis holds the door open for Roth as they enter the building. Interior, pub, early afternoon. Roth and Paul Ellis are sitting in the same pub Roth was in last night. Young Americans by David Bowie plays quietly over the sound system. Well, Both are sitting up at the bar. Americans, <laughs> Both are sitting up at the bar. The barman places two glasses in front of the men. Thanks, John. 
Roth raises his glass. <sighs> to Tracy. To Tracy. Both men take a healthy swig of beer. So what do you want from me, Vincent? Everything. Any lead you had before they shut you down. Well, you know, Vincent, that there wasn't much. Every trail I followed was cold. We didn't have much to work on, but by the time your trial was over, it was too late. You must have something. That I do, Vincent, but while I like you and I want to help you, you know I charge more than just the price of a beer. Yeah, right. Ruff pulls a stack of cash out of his pocket and hands it to Ellis, which Ellis counts before putting it in his own jacket pocket. There was one lead I didn't get around to chasing before the injunction. Ellis pulls a small piece of paper out of his pocket. All right, here's all I know. Flashback. As Ellis narrates, we see a man silhouetted against the lights of a street lamp, carrying a woman across the street to a large brown building. One of my contacts let slip that a, that a friend of his had witnessed a man carrying a woman out of a car the day Tracy disappeared. I don't know where, I don't know the exact time, but what I do have is a name. Why didn't he tell the police? Oh, here's, uh, he's, a. Uh, not the most reliable informant. Criminal? Junkie. <laughs> Roth nods and takes an hour drink from his glass. Where can I find him? Before I tell you how before I tell you that I want I wanna know what you're gonna do when you find him. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm just gonna talk to him. And all you're gonna do is talk? Paul, I've given you your money. Now give me the damn paper. Ellis sighs and hands him <sighs> the slip of paper. Thank you. Roth gulps down what is left of his drink before walking to the door. Ellis laughs. <laughs> is that it? I'm sorry, Paul. I don't have much time. Vincent! Roth stands in the doorway and looks over to Ellis. Just don't go too far. I'll go as far as I have to. Roth leaves the pub. Ellis sighs and turns towards the barman. <laughs> Another drink, <laughs> A strong one. Cut to and T. Cut to. This is so much funnier than I even thought it was going to be. Cut to interior clerk in Kramer's office. Morning. Clark drops a heavy box down on his desk. He searches through it until he finds the file he's looking for. There is a large screen in the wall opposite the entrance to the office. A pretty standard room with two large desks, several storage cabinets and a lot of clutter, on which Clark is screening the security footage from the day Tracy was kidnapped. He is looking through it intently. Most of the footage is of fairly conventional shopping trips. Tracy puts several items into her trolley. A few items she picks up, looks at the back of the packaging, and then puts them back on the shelf. At one point, a young Emma comes over, excitedly grasping a child's makeup set, begging her mother to let her have it. Tracy seems to tell her daughter to put it back. Emma begrudgingly treks to where she found the kit, making Clark laugh slightly at the young girl's attitude. Eventually, the girl and her mother pay for the items at the till and exit the shop. 
Clark frowns, seemingly having found nothing of real significance, and views the, views the footage twice more. Clark sits up back in his chair, staring at the monitor, biting his thumbnail, worried that he's offended Kramer for nothing. He decides to scan through it one more time, playing it at a slower pace. All of a sudden, he spots something. Clark replays a few seconds of the footage. He notices one of the employees watching Tracy as she walks down an aisle. He plays the tape, but stops it again at the point Emma's asking to buy the makeup. The creepy employee is at the end of the aisle again, still watching Tracy while pretending to fix some products on top of a shelf. Clark lets the video progress once more and notices the man standing at the front door of the shop as Tracy leaves, talking to someone on a mobile phone. He glances at Tracy discreetly as she passes by. The creepy shop worker re-enters the store as Tracy and Emma exit. Clark pauses the footage where he can get the best view of the man's face. The strange employee has short, jet black hair and a very pale complexion. However, the picture is blurred, so any other details are not easily identifiable. Clark pulls out his phone and captures a photograph of the suspect. There is a knock on the open door of the office. Captain Iona Riley, a petite woman with, a pale, with pale skin and straight black hair, stands in the doorway. Clark, is Joe here? Uh, no, Captain. He said he needed to walk. Okay. When he comes back, can you tell him that the lab are waiting for those skin samples to process? A uh, little no, ma'am. Thanks. Iowa enters the, enters the room, looking exasperated. We need this closed as soon as possible. It's a miracle the news hasn't broken out yet, but I'm holding a press conference later tonight. God only knows it'd be nice to have something to tell them. Still no witnesses? Not yet. <laughs> she looks up at the monitor. We on to anything? <laughs> Nothing concrete, but I've been going over the security footage from that day that the victim was taken. Clark points up at the screen. This guy seemed to be watching her and makes her way around the store. Did Joe say anything about it? There's, there's nothing in the file. Do you know who he is? Um, only that he worked there, ma'am. Your gut telling you he might be involved? Maybe. I mean, I can't be sure until... I own his phone begins to ding. You drive? I can, but uh, I don't have a car. Take a patrol car and go to the store. See if there's anything they can tell you about him. I want every lead chased up, no matter how small. Sure. Will do, Captain. Iona answers her phone and walks out the room. Clark begins to gather up his belongings and put his jacket on when Kramer returns. He takes off his coat and sits down. You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Just bumped into Mr. Roth. He's hired a private detective. You're kidding. I bloody wish I was. Well, try not let it bother you. Everything about this case bothers me. Where are you off to anyway? Chasing up a lead. Captain's orders. She said the lab wants the skin samples from you. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that soon. Okay, yeah. See ya. Clark exits the room and Kramer sits at his chair, head back, eyes closed and looking exasperated. Exterior store, early afternoon. Clark walks across the empty car park of a large grocery store. He pulls out his book to check he is definitely in the right place. The rookie detective stands at the front door of the store for a few seconds before entering, struggling to get his police identification out of his pocket as he does store. As he does so. <laughs> Sophie, I'm very much looking forward to this. <laughs> Please bring this woman to life in all our glory. 
<laughs> interior store early afternoon. Clark enters the store and takes a moment to analyse his surroundings. There are no employees working any any of the tills, and the only sound comes from outdated sharp music playing quietly over the shop's sound system. There are several empty spots in the shelves. Clark walks through to the back of the shop to find an office door slightly ajar. Inside, the store manager, a small and plump woman, is smoking a cigarette while talking rather loudly about her menstrual cycle to the younger employee named Kira, a shy and timid girl about 17. <laughs> Clark shaves the door twice. The manager looks up startled and quickly puts out the cigarette in an ashtray beside her desk, which she quickly hides behind a nearby shelf. Come in! Clark awkwardly <laughs> enters the office. The employee's face goes red as Clark enters while the manager puts on a very bro- broad, forced smile. Welcome to Penny Savers. How can I help you today? Uh, well, uh, my name is Detective Eric Clark. Clark awkwardly holds up his police badge to screw with the manager. I, I, w- I, was just, I was just wondering if I could ask you a couple of questions about an ongoing investigation. The fake smile is wiped from the manager's face as she looks slightly confused. Oh, yeah, that should be fine. Um, can I just see your identification again? Clark fumbles in his pocket to get his badge and hands it to the manager. The manager inspects it carefully as Clark diverts his attention to the employee momentarily, who blushes and quickly looks down at the ground. Hmm, yes, yes, I see. Right, shouldn't be a problem. Um... Kira, dear, would you mind leaving for a moment? Perhaps go and stack the shelves. Oh, okay. Kira nervously rises from her chair, still looking directly down at the ground. She quickens her pace as she moves by Clark. Um, please take a seat, detective. Would you like any orange juice? (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, no, but but thank you anyway. Okay, okay. The manager grabs her chair and pulls her over closer to Clark, who sits in the end of a sticky old blue leather couch. So, detective, how can I help you today? Uh, I was just wondering. He pulls a small photograph from his pocket. If you knew this man at all, I, I knew he used to work here about ten years ago. The manager takes the photographs straight away. That's Matthew! He's one of my assistants. Is he all right? Did he, something happen to him? No, no. Matthew's fine, miss. I, I, I think. I just wanted to have a few words with him. Why? Is he in trouble? The manager looks at Clark wide-eyed and concerned. Would that be unusual for him? Yes, Matthew's a lovely boy. Always stacks the shelf perfectly. You've never had any complaints? No. Well, maybe once or twice, but he's been here so long it'd be impossible not to have him made a few mistakes. What did they complain about? Well, it's hard to pinpoint anything exactly. Try to think if there's anything in particular. I suppose some customers have said they felt slightly unnerved by Matthew. Hmm. In what way? Some have said they might have caught him 
staring at them. But I assured them it must be a misunderstanding. Matthew's such a wonderful boy. I'm sure he is, miss, but I will need to speak with him. Yeah, that's fine. He'll be in tomorrow morning. Do you know where he is now? I mean, do you have his address, or...? Carter's voice tails off as the manager's false smile reemerges in her face. I'm sorry, detective, but it's against Penny Savers Company policy to give out personal information. Missed, I... <laughs> He'll be in tomorrow. The manager continues to stare at Clark, a false and strangely unsettling grin still plastered across her face. Clark is bemused and a little bit petrified by the strange woman and shuffles in his seat uncomfortably before getting back to his feet. That uh, That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. Anything we hear penny savers can do to help detective? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to shout you out? No, no, it's okay. I, I can find my own way. Clark walks down the aisle and out of the shop. He passes Kira once more, who continues to blush and keep her head down to avoid eye contact with the young male detective. Clark is indifferent to the girl's attention, seeming more embarrassed than flattered. He reaches the door and exhales, looking slightly bewildered before walking off. <laughs> that may be the weirdest scene in this entire fucking thing. <laughs> young male detective. Oh, I love that part so much. Right, interior, captain's office afternoon. Kramer knocks in Captain Ramsey's open office door. She looks up from her paperwork to check who it is before resuming her writing. Not like you to knock. Didn't want to start with you. Do you know where Clark is? He's chasing up a lead. Where? The store where Tracy Roth was last seen. <laughs> Stupid kid. I know you wouldn't listen. It's a dead end. Could be. Kramer enters the room and takes a seat at the opposite side of the desk. How are you doing? Awful. I'm going to get eaten alive tonight. Oh, sure, you'll be fine. Joe, I have nothing to tell them. Let's not lie to ourselves. I'm as good as dead. I might as well be six feet under. That insensitive. You'll be fine. Just breathe and relax. We both know that's not going to happen. You need to get over this. You need to talk to the media. It's part of your job. Joe, with all due respect, you really don't have any idea what it's like to be captain. It's completely different to what you're used to. Maybe you're forgetting that I'm the one who pushed you for that job in the first place. Iona sighs as she leaves her chair to get some water from the fountain on the other side of the room. And I appreciate your support, but it's hard, Joe. I say something wrong and they'll jump on it and plaster it all over the news. And then the commissioner will, I don't know. Iona begins to shake, causing some of the water in her hand to spill on the floor. Kramer gets up from his chair and embraces his former partner and student. Iona calms down, finding comfort in her old mentor's arms. Kramer begins to passionately kiss the captain's neck before turning her head towards his. The two kiss passionately. Until <laughs> Iona... <laughs> the, two, the two kiss passionately until Iona turns her head away. No. We can't do this anymore. She tries to regain a professional computer <laughs> and walks back to her desk. She begins to tend to her paperwork once again. Kramer looks on at his former lover. Disappointed. <laughs> oh, fuck it. <laughs> you get the skin samples to the lab? 
Kramer returns to the desk, standing behind his chair. Yeah. We gave you them, Dolly. Yeah, put me as soon as I got back. Where were you anyway? Just had to get some breathing room. I met Vincent Roth. I hope you were nice. Paul was with him. Paul who? Ellis. Iona stops writing and closes her eyes, frustrated. Great. That's all we need right now. It's fine. I'll get rid of him. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, just leave it. Last thing we need to be worrying about is freaking Paul Ellis. I was going to ask, actually, if you'd mind having a look over the CCTV footage from the alleyway. I'll get on it right away. Thanks, Joe. Now leave. I need to get through all this before tonight. Yes, Mom. Kramer exits the office. Iona waits for the door to close completely before reaching into a bag which lies under her desk. Still shaking slightly, she pulls a bottle of antidepressants. Popping one of the pills in her mouth, she washes it down with a cup of water. Cut to exterior crack den afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I love this fucking so much. Roth is standing outside a war-torn apartment building. The windows are boarded up and broken glass litters the entrance. He rolls up the sleeves of his shirt before entering. Interior. Crack den. Afternoon. <laughs> Roth climbs the stairs of the building before stopping outside Black 37. He wraps the door once more with no answer. He wraps it once more with the same result. Growing impatient, he uses his considerable strength to force the door open. Roth walks from the entrance down the hallway, passing the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Passing the bathroom, where he sees a junkie woman of about 30 years of age being sick over the toilet. Roth passes her, looking disgusted. He enters the living room. The only light in the room comes from an assorted assortment of candles and tableside lamps. In the living area, a drugged-up man and woman lay asleep in a stained and tattered old sofa bed. Roth nudges the man in the sofa bed with his foot. The man regains a slight state of consciousness. Scott Lee? The man in bed points over to the corner where Scott Lee, a 30-something male with dirty, long brown hair, which has grown down to his shoulders, sits unconscious and leaning against the wall. He is stick thin and looks malnourished. Roth walks over to him and nudges him gently with his foot. Scott gives no response. Roth crouches down and grabs the man by the face. Scott! Scott! Scott does not stir. Son of a bitch. Roth bends down and picks Scott up, putting him into a fireman's carry. He carries him out of the apartment and kicks down the door of the one opposite. He carries the junkie into the kitchen and over to the sink. Putting his head under the tap, he turns on the cold water. As the water continues to pour onto Scott's head, he is shocked into life, (laughs) yelling yelling loudly before stumbling backwards. He crashes into the wall and falls onto the floor, sitting up. What the fuck, man? You're trying to drown me? What the fuck are you anyway? My name doesn't matter. All I want from you is information. Scott begins to climb back up to his feet. Information? I don't know jack shit, man. What do you want from me? Paul Ellis. What about him? Ten years ago, you told him that you saw something you might have you might have been connected to the Tracy Roth kidnapping. Yeah, so? So I've come here to find out what you have to say. You got any money? No. Then sorry, big guy. I can't help you. 
Roth nods his head for a few seconds before suddenly lunging for Scott. <laughs> Roth grabs his t-shirt and pins him up against the wall. Hey, man, come, come on, man, let's, let's not. Roth bangs Scott's head against the wall several oh. times, shutting him up and making the junkie moan with pain. Listen here, you piece of shit. You're going to tell me everything you know about what happened that day, or I'll knock your teeth down your throat. I, I think you might want to back the fuck up, my man. Scott pulls a knife out from his pocket and holds it up to Roth's head. Roth backs away for a few seconds and a grin flashes across Scott's face. Suddenly, Roth grabs the junkie's knife-wielding hand. He punches Scott in the face, knocking him to the ground and causing him to lose his grip on the knife. Roth, now in possession of the blade, tosses it across the room. His muscled me- The muscled mechanic takes off his coat and rolls the sleeves of his shirt even further up his large arms. He leans down over Scott and begins to pound his face with his fists. After a few successful blows, Scott manages to create some separation between himself and his larger assailant with his legs before trying to scurry out of the room on his knees, his face covered in a crimson mask. Oh, However, Roth catches up to him and drags him back into the kitchen. Still grabbing both the thin man's legs, he straddles them apart and begins to stomp repeatedly on Scott's frail chest. He then pulls him to his feet, opens the window wide. He shoves Scott's head and torso out the face of it. Scott is spitting blood when he speaks. Talk, God damn it! <laughs> let, let go of me, man! I Roth, said talk! Roth slaps the back of Scott's head. What did you see? I I just seen a guy carrying a woman out of a car. She 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 could have been drunk, I I guess, but she kind of looked like the chick on the news. What did the guy look like? I I don't know, man. It it was ten fucking years ago. Think. I I don't know, man. I I don't know. Believe me. Roth pulls him back into the room and throws him against the kitchen cabinets. Where? Where was it? St. Gerald Street. (laughs) The apartments on St. Gerald Street. The brown ones. I don't know anymore. Oh, is it still is it still Scott? Oh, yeah. oh sorry. Sorry, I thought it was different. Why is it Lottie? I must have changed his name from, from Lottie to I'll Scott. Continue. Yeah, I'll continue in Scott. Gerald Street. The apartments on St. Gerald Street. The brown ones. I don't know anymore, man, please. Roth stares Scott down for a few seconds before walking out of the apartment and back into the hallway. The guy from the sofa bed next door is waiting, wearing only his boxers. He looks very tired and extremely pissed off. Fucking asshole waking me up. Roth knocks him out with a single punch before continuing his way. Cut to (laughs) interior Interior Clark and Kramer's office late afternoon. Clark is sitting at his desk, intensely reading over the case file once more. Kramer is sitting over at his desk, watching his young partner, a concerned look in his face. How many times you read that over now? Clark doesn't hear him and continues to read. Clark! Clark looks up, looking slightly startled. Yeah? Go on. Get some rest. I can't. Not yet, Joe. I've got some stuff I need to do. Clark goes back to reading the file. Kramer gets up from his chair and sits in the end of Clark's desk. Taking the file from him, he closes it over. The captain told me 
You were visiting that store the day. Yeah, I, I just went to... Find out about that shelf stacker in the video. You won't find anything on him there. Clark looks up at his mentor questioningly. Why? Because. Still holding the file, Kramer walks away from the desk across to the filing cabinet on the other side of the room. He puts one arm on it. He puts one arm on... He puts one arm on top of it to perch himself. I already interviewed him ten years ago. Well, why didn't you document it? There was no point. I couldn't have been him. Smoked him for five minutes before I sent him on his way, and I told you I ate paperwork. Wasn't as big a deal back in the day. How were you so sure he wasn't involved? Because the guy's stupid. If you'd have met him, you'd know that I mean. God couldn't run a cold bath for a broken boiler. And? And? And our guy is smart, careful, consistent. I'm not saying he's our guy. Then what are you saying? What is this, Clark? Is it the arrogance of youth? Because the way I see it, you're shitting all over the work I've done in this case for the past ten fucking years. Clark looks <laughs> down. Clark looks down at his desk uncomfortably but does not respond. Kramer glares at Clark for a few seconds before pacing slowly back towards his desk and dropping the case file back down. He goes back over to his chair and puts on his coat. Do what you gotta do. But trust me, kid, it's a waste of time. He puts his hat on and tips it towards Clark. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Kramer takes his leave. <laughs> They both say goodnight <laughs> as Kramer takes his leave as Clark once again grabs the file from the table. Time passes and it's now dark outside. Clark is still trawling through the file trying to find something is missed. He comes across a picture of a younger Emma in the file. He stares at it for a few seconds down, before a light bulb down, seems down. to go off in his head. Quickly, putting on his jacket, he rushes out of the room. Exterior, Roth Household, evening. Clark pulls up outside the Roth Household in a marked police car. He wraps the door. Just a second. The sound of running and rustling paper can be heard as Emma rushes to the open door. She pulls the door open wide. <coughs> oh, detective, I wasn't expecting you. Come in, please. Clark walks over the threshold. Interior, rough household, evening. Clark enters the house and walks in the living room as before. He stands in the same spot as he was in the other night, as though this is the only place in the room he feels comfortable. Sit down if you like. Eric takes a seat at the armchair nearest the television. You want a drink? No, no thank you. Emma goes through to the kitchen and pours herself a glass of water. Clark fidgets awkwardly and twiddles his thumbs while he waits. Emma returns, glass of water in hand. She gulps it down and puts it on the table. She takes a seat on the sofa. So... Mm, uh, Oh, right. Clark hurries into his bag for the case file. Emma smiles slightly as he does so. Clark pulls a photograph of Matthew from the file and hands it to Emma. I was wondering if perhaps you recognize this man at all. Emma looks at the photograph. I don't know. Should I? Look over it for a few seconds. See if anything comes to your mind. Sorry. Can't help you. Never seen him before. She hands the photograph back to a disappointed Clark. Do you think he's the one who took my mom? I'm sorry, miss. I can't really discuss... Do you think he's got something to do with it? I can't be certain, Miss Roth. All I can tell you for now is I'm doing all I can to find who killed your mother. 
I appreciate that. She smiles slightly at Clark. Clark returns this while going slightly red in the face. Emma slaps her hand on her thighs and stands up. Right, where are you? <laughs> 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 No, nothing more for now. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you know. If, if there is, I mean. Thank God. No offense, but you've caught me at a bad time. I really need to go out and get out and get something to eat. I thought my dad would have been home by now, but... She waves her hand at the empty room. And my cooking is something to be desired. <laughs> I can... I can... I can... I can, I can give you a drive to somewhere if you'd like. <laughs> Ava considers this for a moment. Yeah, sounds good. I'll grab my coat. Ava heads upstairs to grab her coat as Clark checks his watch. To be continued.